Well, good morning to you. I want us to continue with our study of Christ of the book. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. Uh, the Lord Jesus uh, says, uh, he, uh, uh, in, in, in Luke, we find that, that he is our example, but more than our example, uh, he is our Savior. And the, the Scripture bears witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been going through the Bible, uh, locating the Lord in every book of the Bible. This morning it is Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, he is the head of the body. The head of the body. Uh, Colossians is one of the prison epistles that Paul wrote. It's during this time that much of the revelation of the mystery is revealed uh, to the Apostle Paul uh, concerning the church, the body of Christ. Uh, he is, at this time, he is a prisoner of Rome, but he never calls himself a prisoner of Rome. He always calls himself a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. A captive, captive to his calling. Part of that calling we find in Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Starting with verse 25, Colossians 1, 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Part of his calling, part of his mission, uh, as a matter of fact, a large portion of it was to bring to completion to fulfill the Word of God. That's what this special revelation to him is all about, this mystery. Uh, it's, it's about that special revelation that he receives from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, he was called upon by the Lord Jesus himself to bring to completion or to fulfill the Word of God. But I believe the last book of the Bible is 2 Timothy. When he writes uh, that book, uh, all the other books have been written at that time. Another interesting aspect of that is in 1 Corinthians 13. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. An extremely important part of what we teach and preach, what the Bible teaches us concerning the completion of the Word of God, why we don't speak in tongues, why we understand that the sign gifts are no longer for, for today, why we uh, understand that the tongues have ceased, that prophecy uh, has ceased, that the gift of knowledge has ceased. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's Start with verse 8. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. You have to understand that in the early church, uh, they did not have the completed Word of God to turn to. So when the preacher got up to speak, when the people got up, came to hear God's Word being taught, there were three gifts that went together in order to verify that what was being said and taught was from God. They had the gift of knowledge, you had the gift of prophecy, of teaching, and you had the gift of tongues. Um, but 1 Corinthians 13 says that those are going to cease. So the question comes up, when are those things going to cease? And the Bible is very clear. Look at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 13. But when that which is perfect, or when that which is complete is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What was in, known in part? It's what they were teaching, what they were preaching. Uh, so when that which is perfect is come, 
And we find out from Paul in Colossians that it was his calling to fulfill the word of God, to bring to completion. That's what it's talking about in 1 Corinthians 10. When that, it's not when he, it's not someone, it is neuter. It's, it's not a gender, it's not a he, it's not a she, it's not someone, it's something. When that which is complete, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Well, that which is perfect has come. That's the Word of God. It's in Colossians that Paul makes sure we understand that, that it was given to him to fulfill, to bring to completion the Word of God. What a calling he had on himself. Whereas the book of Ephesians concerned the church of Christ. Colossians concerns the Christ of the church. And it's important that we understand that these were two uh, epistles that were to be shared with one another. They were to, the, the, the book of the letter to, to Colossae was to be shared with those of Ephesus and those in Ephesus was to share the book of Ephesians with those in, in Colossae. They were to make sure that they understood that. And they were to understand, uh, one emphasized the church uh, of Christ, which is his body. It emphasized his body. The other Colossians em emphasized Christ of the church, who is the head. So as you study Ephesians, you keep that in mind. As you study Colossians, you keep that in mind. One's emphasis was on the body. That's Ephesians. Colossians, the emphasis is on the head of that body, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The purpose of the book of Colossians is to present the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things all things, that he is the head of the body, he is preeminent in all things. So that being the case is if he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and he is, then the Christian's life who is in Christ in that body with him being the head, we should reflect that priority, amen? We should reflect that priority in everything that we do. And it's in Colossians, look at Colossians 3, 4, where there's an interesting statement there. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So we can get excited about knowing we're going to be with the Lord for all eternity. And when He appears, we're going to appear with Him. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But it's that part when Christ who is our life, and that is the important question today. Is He your life? Paul is assuming as he's writing to this church in Colossae that he'd never visited, he had never been to, and he's writing to them and he says, when Christ who is our life and the bells and the whistles should go off and we should ask ourselves, is he our life? Is he our life? Acts 17, 28 says, in him we have our, in him we move, we have our life, we have our being in Christ. For in him we live and move and have our being. See, that needs to be our attitude. When Christ, who is our life, and I pray this morning, He is your life. Is He? Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This sort of sums it up. When Christ, who is our life, therefore if He's your life, it doesn't really matter what you're undertaking he is the one to be glorified. He is the one to be honored. He is the one to be exalted. When Christ, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father 
by him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's around verse 31, Tim. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whatever you eat or whatever you drink, whatever you do, you do all for the glory of God. Doesn't matter. If whether you are well, whether you are a surgeon, a brain surgeon, or you're a preacher. Use one way here that brain surgeon or preacher. You do all for the glory of God. When Christ, who is our life, and that's the one thing that I hope and I pray about St. Louis Bible Fellowship, that this congregation, this local assembly, number one, knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Individually, it is a church of redeemed individuals that I'm going to get to spend eternity in heaven with. But you understand that it's, yes, you're grateful for that you're saved, that you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, but also there is a responsibility to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, you've been talking about that a lot lately. The reason for that is we've been in the, the Pauline epistles, and it's the Pauline epistles that really stress that truth that we are saved by grace. We are on our way to heaven. We're sealed into the day of redemption. We're eternally secure. If, if all that is not a reason to serve faithfully, then I don't know what is. And the emphasis is making sure a lost and dying world sees the Lord Jesus Christ in, in you. So whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. And therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's the purpose of this book. He is the head, understanding that He is the head. And as we study this, what we want to emphasize is the fact that it's the head that controls the body, that it's the head that reigns, that, that's in charge of all the things that the, body, that the body does. The truth of the matter is, in this book of Colossians, and, and we're, and we're going to focus today on Christ of the book, the fact that he is the head of the body. But i got to tell you, we could spend so much time, verse by verse by verse, in this book because it is a wealth of doctrinal instruction to the church, the body of Christ, as we give preeminence to its head, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I call this book the Believer's Victory Book. The Believer's Victory Book. The truth in this book, the deep, important doctrinal truths are just overflowing in the book of Colossians. It is in the book of Colossians that we find out that we are rooted in Christ. Uh, it's in the book of Colossians that we find out that we are complete we're going to be talking about that in a second. We're complete in Christ. It's the book of Colossians that tells us that we are hidden in Christ. It's the book of Colossians that informs us that we are alive in Christ. So we are rooted in Him. We are complete in Him. We are hidden in Him. We are alive in Him. What glorious truths that is. And every believer should get excited about that standing, that position that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about security, that's what we have in Christ. That perfect salvation from the perfect Savior. He is the head. We are the body, and how absolutely important it is that we realize that. And 
as the head, he desires for us to know his will, his desires, his purpose for our lives. Uh, him being the head, can you imagine how chaotic it would be if parts of my body didn't cooperate with my head, with your brain? If certain parts of your body, all of a sudden you wanted your, your, your hand to, you know, to scratch your nose because you had a really bad itch on it, but the, your hand wouldn't obey your, your brain, that just, I'd have to ask Faith, Faith, can you scratch my nose? See, it's important that the body be able to respond to what the head, the brain, tells it to do. And it's the same way in this relationship, you are the body of Christ. Christ is the head of that body. That's a metaphor to describe the relationship we have with him. I talked with someone one time and, and had to explain to them, no, 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 no. You know, we're not all going to be in heaven. I mean, we're all going to be in heaven, I hope. But we're not, with Christ being the big head walking around and all of us are in the body. And, and they had it so visualized that that was, was going to be monstrosity, a monster. Monstrosity. It's not that way at all. It's a metaphor so we understand our relationship with Christ. He is the head, the glorified head. He controls. We're the body, placed in the body where God wants us to serve, where we can be useful to Him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And if Paul were alive today, well, the word here is alive and well. This, this prayer is meant for us also. It was that you might be filled. I encourage you to take that personally that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The word knowledge there is a really interesting Greek word. It has to do with, well, the Greek word is epigenosis. And the word for knowledge is uh, gnosis. But epigenosis, it is emphasizing that that knowledge it it the word really points to precise knowledge if you will so if god's word declares that he wants us to have precise knowledge of his will for our lives then guess what he is willing to share and show us what his will is for our lives Precise knowledge of His will for your life. And as you go through the Scripture, and we understand, because there's three, three Scriptures just really jump out at us that tells us what God's will is for our lives. And we hit on it just a little bit last week and then even on, on Wednesday night, because I think this is so important. But... Paul is praying that you know what his precise knowledge of his will is. And then other places, he goes on to make sure we understand what his will is for our lives. And when you do a study of God's will in the Scripture, it has to do with purity and testimony. Or it says in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, it talks about uh, do not fornicate. It has to do with with your, your purity, uh, it has to do with praise and worship. First Thessalonians 5 talks about uh, and giving thanks in all things. Ephesians talks about giving uh, thanks in all things. So it has to do with purity. 
It has to do with praise or worship, and it has to do with service and God's calling on your life because when he talks about God's will, both in purity and in praise and worship, but also service, we find out that it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. People say, what is God's will? God's will is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How are they going to be saved? By hearing the truth from God's Word. And it's not going to be an angel that's going to declare it. It's not going to be Balaam's donkey that's going to declare it. It's you that's going to be declared. If it's God's will that all men be saved, Peter talking to the scattered, he says that God's not, in Second Peter 3, they're wanting to know why, what's going on. How come Christ hasn't returned? Why, why is he delaying? And Peter tells them, uh, for it's God's will, uh, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And if that's going to happen, people need to hear the truth of God's word. That Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. So Paul is talking to the church in Colossae, and he wants, he's emphasizing that God, that he's praying that, that they're going to know God's precise will for their lives. They're going to have that, that knowledge in their life. And good, uh, epigenosis, it is literally knowledge acquired by learning through effort. Knowledge acquired through learning by effort. In other words, a church that understands in order to gain that knowledge, they have to study to show themselves approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what God's word calls us to do. Here in Colossians, he wants us to know his will for our lives. That's what verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He wants you to increase in knowledge, and the way you do that is to study, not neglect God's Word. It amazes me. It amazes me how Christians neglect the study of God's Word. I, I, I've, I've never understood that. How do we expect to grow? How do we expect to, to learn more and, about, more and more about God's character and God's purpose for our lives when we neglect the only thing that really tells us about that, and that is His, His Word? Increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. Verses 12 through 14 there in that first chapter talks about uh, how that we have, uh, we have, by Christ, we have been, He has qualified us, He has translated us, and He has forgiven us. So as you study this, it's, it's all about what the work that the head is doing in the life of the body. He has made us, He's He's qualified us. He's translated us. And He's forgiven us. How absolutely important all of those truths are. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father, of chapter 1, for it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. That all fullness Later on in Colossians, just the same letter, just a few verses later, he's going to tell us in verse 9 of chapter uh, 2, Colossians 2, 9, for in him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ Jesus dwells the fullness 
of the Godhead, the Godhead, the Trinity, in full, bodily. You want to know God the Father? You have to know God the Son. You want to know God the Holy Spirit? You have to know God the Son. He is the summary. He is the one that, that's why he told Philip, Philip says, show us the Father and that will suffice us. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Christ Jesus is God in him, the man Christ Jesus, the one born of a virgin, the one sent, stepped out of heaven, came to this earth. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Worth our serving, worth our praising, worth our singing about, worth our worshiping. Know this, when we get to heaven, the Lord Jesus is not going to be a little spirit floating around and going, oh, I think I just got a sight of him. He's going to be sitting upon a throne. He is, he is God himself, but he's also going to be a man. And we're going to receive the same kind of body at our resurrection that he received at his. And it just blows my mind to think about that and contemplate on that. As a matter of fact, I don't recommend thinking about that before you fall asleep because you just get so excited and so worked up and it is so glorious to think about that you won't get to sleep really easily because that truth is just amazing. Christ is the fullness. Now listen to this. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I, I just I can't begin to explain all that that verse means. But let me show you another verse that's even more mind-blowing to me. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start with verse 20. I'll start with verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Remember, Ephesians, this is written to about the church of Christ. Colossians is Christ of the church. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. It's where Christ is seated right now. And we're in Christ. So we're there. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Take that, angels. Take that, creation. Take that, powers. High above all of that is Christ Jesus, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Talk about dominion. Talk about a verse that ought to just jump out at you and, and deserves our shouting hallelujah over. He's put all things under his feet. He's given him to be head over all things to the church. But look at verse 23. Verse 23. Are you sitting down? Well, you are. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Not only Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, you fill up Jesus Christ. I don't know how, I don't know what that means. I can't be begin to get my mind around that relationship. I'm not sure how far to take that. 
But I can tell you this. Take that, Satan. Take that, devil. Take that, world. You, the body of Christ, make up the fullness of Christ who makes up the full head, uh, makes up the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What a relationship. What a position. How absolutely thrilling that should be for every person who's been made a new creation in Christ. It is just tremendous. Back to Colossians. Back to Colossians. Verse 20 of chapter 1, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether it be things in earth or things in heaven. And you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. By the way, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but when it says that he is the firstborn of every creature, it has to do with supremacy. It has to do with inheritance. And the firstborn from the dead has to do with his resurrection. Not that he was created. He is eternal. But it has to do with uh, he is the firstborn He is the first one resurrected to receive that new body. And it has to do when firstborn is always the one to receive the inheritance. That's what that's all about. I know a lot of people get tripped up and go, what? Jesus was created. He was part of the, he was created. And so, you know, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, are they right? No, they're not right. But that verse has everything to do with, with inheritance and supremacy and pre, uh, preeminence and who Christ is. But jump over to Colossians 2.6. Oh, well, first of all, to Colossians 1, verse 25. Where have I made a minister? Verse 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 25. Where have I made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. We've talked about that. Even the mystery tells you what he's going to be filling up, what he's bringing to completion. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You Gentiles, you're saved through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You are made part of a body that it was never, never prophesied. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Noah, Daniel, you name an Old Testament saint. Moses, they, they never heard, they never knew anything about God's plan and purpose and what he was going to accomplish through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They they never knew anything about this body that's made up of believing Jew and believing Gentile with him being the head. They understood God's program and purpose and blessings and calling to a nation, but not to a body. And that's Paul's job to receive this special revelation. So here in Colossians, just like he did in Ephesians, just like he did in Romans, he talks about the glorious truth of that mystery which had been kept secret but is now made known to his saints. Why in the world we want to keep going back and trying to find the church, the body of Christ? All of this is God's Word. Don't get me wrong. All of this is important. It's, all, it's given to us from Genesis to Revelation. It's given to us for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's God's Word. It's to be studied, every, every bit of it. But we need to understand that for our marching orders, for that which pertains to what God expects, you must rightly divide the words. You must understand 
that special revelation of the mystery to understand how you fit in to God's plan and purpose. Not to understand that, you're not going to understand His Word. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here. Look at chapter 2. Verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you've received the Lord, how did you receive the Lord? I hope you say by faith. You received the Lord by faith. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. You received Him by faith. How are you to walk in Him? By faith, by faith, trusting Him, depending on Him. Walking not by sight, not by expecting miracles, not by thinking, well, when I see it, I'll believe it. What pleases God is what? Faith. For without faith, it's impossible to do what? Please God. What glorifies God is for you exercising faith. Let me tell you something. I do not trust my feelings. I trust Christ. I do not trust my emotions. There are days my emotion says, you dirty, rotten sinner. But I trust the Lord Jesus. I do not lean on my, or trust my understanding. But I trust God's word. Trust God's word. See, that's walking by faith. I remember there was a song years ago, and we're going to play it here in just a little bit for you when we close out, because I think it really fits what we need to understand. Uh, it's back over in Mark chapter 9. It's the man whose son was uh, demon-possessed, and he was always frothing at the mouth, and he was always throwing himself in the fire, and he was always trying to destroy himself. And the father comes to Christ and he says, Heal my son. Heal my son. And the Lord says, I'll do it. And actually the man comes and says, Your, your disciples can't do it. They've tried. They can't do it. And the Lord basically chews them out a little later for not having the faith to do it. This man says something that I think really, at least it epitomizes me in my walk with the Lord, in my prayer. This man who approaches the Lord Jesus and asks him to heal his son, the Lord says, if you believe. And he says, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. That's powerful, folks. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And I think when we come to a point in our lives where we understand the importance of that prayer, boy, spiritual growth is going to come. We get to the point where we don't expect us to do it. We understand it's Christ doing His work in our lives, how important that is. So I go back. I don't trust my feelings. I trust Christ. I don't trust my emotions. I trust the Lord Jesus. Verse 7 of chapter 2. Verse 7. It's in Colossians that we find that we are to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. 
as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. He's telling this church in Colossae, you're responsible for being rooted in the faith, which means you study, you search the scriptures. Drop down to verse 16 of chapter 3. How, how do you do that? How do you get rooted in the Word of God? How do you get established in the Word of God? Colossians 3.16 Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That needs to be where we dwell in the Word of Christ. You want to be rooted? Then you dwell in the Word of Christ. That's the key. And it's not even a secret. It's spelled out for us right there. So we're rooted in Him. Look at verse 10. Folks, if you don't ever hear or learn anything that I have ever, ever taught you, if this Scripture here is the only Scripture you ever learn or remember from this preacher, this is the one that I want you to remember. No, never mind. No. Verse 10. Verse 10. And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. If it's not underlined in your Bible, by all means underline it. For you are complete in Him. If by faith you have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you have recognized the fact that you're a sinner and you're in need of saving, and you are or were, the moment you, be, the moment you trust Christ, you are made complete in Him. To be complete in Christ means there's absolutely nothing more to add. There is nothing lacking in your salvation. You are complete, and there's that in Him, in Christ doctrine again. The all-sufficiency of Christ to save means there is nothing else you can do to, to add to that salvation. Thank you, Lord. Amen. There's nothing else you can add. There's, there are no rituals. There are no religious experiences. There's absolutely nothing more you can do to add to what God Himself has claimed you to be. Lord, I'm going to make you love me a little more because I'm going to do this or this or this or this. He already loves you with a perfect love. Already loves you with a perfect love in Christ. And you are complete in Him. So when the devil tries to hinder your walk, when the devil tries to remind you of your past, when the devil tries to do something in your life to mess with your brain and your heart, you remind him that you're complete in Christ. You can even go along and agree with him. Yeah, I was a sinner. I still am. But I'm also complete in Christ. Satan, you saw everything he did for me on Calvary's cross. Satan, you, you, were, you saw the stripes, you saw the thorns, you saw what he endured. You saw the payment that was made. You thought, aha, I got him. No bottomless pit for me. No lake of fire for me. Now I'll be the one to be worshipped. Will you remind Satan that you're complete in him? And he will not want to mess with you. Let me tell you, you're complete in Him. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. 
That's another thing you can remind him of. You're complete, you're hid, and then drop down to the other verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. He is your life. You are alive in him. You're rooted in him. You are complete in him. You're hidden in him. You're alive in him. Christian, listen. Listen. It is absolute imperative, absolutely imperative that we understand that glorious position that we as members of the body of Christ has all because of who the glorified head is who controls our body. It's imperative that we understand that victory. And then chapter 4 talks about the mystery. And Paul asked the church in Colossae, he says, and pray for me that I might be bold in my utterance as I share the mystery. Because you know what? It wasn't popular then, and it's certainly not popular now. Back then, all Paul had was the Roman government and the nation of Israel, the Jews, that hated him for preaching that mystery. Today, we have the majority of churches that hate us for preaching the mystery, that hidden secret. Well, you don't start the church where most of the churches started. Why, you don't water baptize. Why, you don't do that. You don't do that. There's a reason, because it's not scriptural. You don't have an altar call. You know why? First of all, this is not an altar. You know what an altar? Maybe one of these days we'll have a lesson on what an altar is. This is not it. Second, I do not want people to stand up and go, I'm doing something, I'm getting saved by walking forward. No, you don't. You get saved by believing that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. You get saved by understanding it's, your salvation is based on everything he did, nothing you do. Majority of churches go, you're not preaching truth. Well, we could argue, we're going to have to agree to disagree. I believe. So, Lord, help my unbelievers. When there are doubts, when there are errors in my theology, Lord, I want to know it. I want to be instructed. I want to be a student of your word. I want to grow closer to you. And understand, I only do that. I can only do that as I study your word and as I commune with you in prayer. Lord, that's how we grow. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Tim, play this song.
Acts. He's writing his final letter to Timothy. And he tells Timothy something very interesting. Talking about the body of Christ. Talking about saved individuals. He says, even when we believe not, he remains faithful. You know why? Because he cannot deny himself. And you are part of him. Amen? You are part of him. He cannot deny you. Even when those doubts, difficulties, situations come up, You're his. Oh, love that will not let me go. Amen. Let's stand to be dismissed. And Bill Billings is here this Sunday. I called on you last Sunday, Bill, to pray. Thought I'd seen you come in. I was hallucinating. Yeah. Bill, would you pray for us, please? Will you close us in prayer?